welcome to the Learning 3.0 podcast. I'm Rustika Lamb from Bloom, and in each episode, I chat to learning and technology thought leaders and how to support business performance through people performance. Once again, I welcome Nelson Siverlingham, CEO and founder of How Now, to the Learning 3.0 podcast, where we discuss his first book, Learning at Speed. As usual, he's a fire hose of unique perspectives and insights on learning at work, thanks to his entrepreneurial focus and mindset. Hear about his unique take on how to write a learning strategy on a page, how to implement and evaluate learning. As usual, always a pleasurable fire hose of information. You'll need the pause button to take notes on this one. Enjoy. Like uh, you're nine a.m. today, and I'm only uh, four p.m. in Bali. So I'm um, very happy to be chatting to you today. Absolutely, much much better time zone, Rusty Ken. Always great to speak with you. So thanks for having me back on. <laughs> no worries, no worries. So I thought we'd just kick off. Like norm- as I was saying, like, normally we would have I'd have six questions, and we'd be talking to you about those six questions. Um, but in this instance, we we're going to talk to you about. Um, I saw on LinkedIn recently, Gary had had um, Ask Nelson Anything. So I thought <laughs> as a recent author, before we talk about your book, what were some of the things that, I mean, I know I asked the question, but like what were some of the other things that um, people were coming up with and asking on that, uh, that those posts? Yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting range, um, actually, kind of going from technology. I mean, there were um, more, even more questions around different types of technology, the, the, the role of kind of AR, VR, AI, um, and, and really trying to demystify those and trying to understand their place uh, in, in L&D and, you know, how much of it is, is just buzz and how much of it is, is real meaningful impact. Um, and so it was a lot around kind of tech. And then more around L&D's roles in, in kind of other parts of the employee experience and, and what the impacts of um, other parts of the employee experience would have on L&D. You know, for one of the questions was around kind of um, flexible working and, and, you know, four day weeks, for example, what would the impact of that be um, on L&D and what would L&D have to do to kind of adapt around four day weeks? Um, and so really trying to understand, I think a lot of it, the, the kind of common theme was trying to understand L&D's place in this ever-changing world um, and, and really trying to understand that. Mm. It, it's so interesting you say that because because there's been such a shift to technology, L&D, I think you're right, is asking all about this emerging technology and AR and VR. Um, but then I think the other side is, well, as I say, four day, different ways of working, et cetera, et cetera. And I went to a conference, an HR tech conference in July, and there's hardly any tech. I'm just talking about like culture and working, hybrid working. And I'm going, I thought this was a tech conference. It's <laughs> like, I think all of a sudden, like it's now we've got LMDs dealing with these different, you know, quite different aspects. And how does tech even fit into that? Yeah. And you're right. That whole um, AR, VR sort of coming about. And I think you've, you've probably seen and we've talked about this. I'm actually creating an augmented reality app to teach. English to refugees because I think oh, yeah. that's their key key into quality work, quality of life. Um, but it's really interesting going through the whole human centered design process that people don't even know what it is. Like, what is that? What is augmented reality? So, I mean, L and D people know that, but yeah, it's quite interesting. It's almost like shaky ground, and it hasn't quite yet sort of bedded down. Even three years later, so mm, yeah, interesting. I, I agreed, and, and I think. 
for almost the, the fear of new technologies, it also stems from almost a, a the solution first mindset of they almost we've committed to our tools and we're like, okay, this is what I'm going to use. And now we're working backwards to say, what problem can the solution I have solve? Rather than I think if we took a more problem first approach where we're finding like, what matters is I have to solve this problem. And now I'm going to look for the best solution to solve that problem. And I think that will open up our perspective beyond the solutions that we're used to and comfortable with already. Um, and that's when I think we, we kind of build the mindset to embrace new technologies, right? I think otherwise it feels like, oh, we don't have ARVR, so we're, we're not going to um, use it. But I think it's when you go from it from a problem perspective and you kind of test out, say, AR, does AR really help me solve this problem? Um, I think it puts you in a position where you're able to be more open-minded about these emerging uh, technologies and find a way to to kind of apply them in a meaningful way to solve the problem. And so I do think it's because, you know, today we're talking about VR, AR, and, and you know, in, a, in another couple of years' time, we could be talking about something else. Um, but what's important is the mindset to be able to embrace and try and learn and see whether you can use these techs. And I think that's more of a fundamental mind shift rather than just embracing VR, AR. And it's a far bigger mindset shift that we need to to be open to. And I think it's also being open to fail and, and like test and fail, experiment and fail. Because yeah. I know with with the AR app that I'm developing, like there's a, the design process has gone quite well. The you know the idea ideation's gone well, and now I'm coming up against well, oh that software doesn't do that, and that software doesn't do that, and that software doesn't do that. So is the technology actually really even there? Like you, yeah. you see some cool stuff like. Um, and, uh, the people that made Pokemon Go have come out with a new plugin for Unity, which is the authoring tool for making yeah. that reality. And it was amazing. Like, we can create this giant butterfly that like, comes around the corner, and it, it like, and then you, they're like, oh, well, I, I want you to make a fish jumping out of the water. Oh, it doesn't do that. Oh, no, you can't do the butterfly because of, that was actually not a real building. That was actually, I'm just going, seriously, like they made the video look like this, but it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. It's thing, right? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think, but and also on the flip side, I think what's incredible is how the, the kind of democratization of AR is happening through, you know, devices like your mobile phone, right? Like, I think the fact that we can all, the other day, um, you know, my, my wife is constantly trying to convince me that we need a second dog. And I think it was <laughs> um, Battersea Dogs. Um, and on Battersea Dogs, what you're able to do is you're able to see some of the rescue dogs and then you use AR to see that dog in your living room, to see its proportion and size versus, um, you know, life size against your furniture and your sofa. And I think what an incredibly original way of using uh, AR, but what an accessible way for people to get the initial experience of seeing AR and that fascination and how it kind of solve the problem you may not have really thought about and 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 really kind of put it in in the palm of your hands right you didn't have to buy any new hardware um you know it's a phone that most of us have today is it's you know most of us are probably most of us listening to this right now are using a smartphone that's capable of doing that and i think once we kind of the hardware costs go down it becomes more accessible and we're able to play around with it and like you said get more opportunities to to play try fail uh, test things out um 
I think that will open up the, the kind of imagination for what we could do with this. But yeah, I, I said in the in the kind of Ask Me Anything podcast, I'm, I'm definitely more excited right now about AR more than VR, um, especially from an L&D context. I think the kind of the near transfer, learning transfer opportunities it gives you um, is 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 quite exciting. Mm, absolutely. And, and I think that that whole immersive, you know, the immersion of VR has its place. Um, but I think it's it's easy when it's you can just develop something that's actually in your own workplace because it's just the overlay, right? So yeah. that's the difference with the AR, VR. So, yeah. And and to be fair, I haven't quite got to the development of it, but it, people saying, oh, it's expensive, it's expensive, you can't do it. But I want to test that because I'm just wondering if that's an urban myth as well. Because there's so yeah. many urban myths, right, around L&D. Like, oh, sure. like, okay, right, let's test that one out. But going back to your book, and I, you alluded to it, like rather than having the solution and w- working backwards and then more focusing on the problem, we've been talking about this for decades, right? And we're still talking about this. Solve a problem. It doesn't have to be a learning solution. It could be a beacon, you know, a little beacon that costs $5 that pushes something to the phone as they walk by, you know, because this is where the first aid kit is. You don't need an e-learning piece of something to tell you where the first aid kit is or the exits or whatever. Um Tell us, tell us more about your book because I say I when you asked me to you know to review it, I just I just read it. I went, this is seminal, like and like people, you're not talking about the same old same old stuff that everyone else talks about. You're talking about it in a really new and fresh way. And and I did laugh. You have to share the story about when you said, oh, I have six months, I can write a book. But tell us about that. <laughs> then tell us a bit, bit more about your journey and 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 the content. I think it comes from, uh, you know, I don't come from an L&D background, right? So prior to this, my, my I've spent the last kind of 15 years in entrepreneurship in, in tech. And so advertising mm. tech, um, you know, advertising marketing tech, um, video uh, tech, and, and basically different space, hospitality and leisure. Um, and then I came into into this space, into to kind of uh, learning and development, uh, learning tech. And so... Because I didn't have L&D expertise to, to borrow from, right? I, I learned a lot from, you know, people like yourself and there's um, great kind of experts in the space. But I had to, to kind of lean on my entrepreneurship, uh, you know, my, my experience of applying Agile and Lean to build a business in, in previous startups. And so that's what I had to lean on. And what I realized was um, that became very relevant for the L&D teams and professionals I was working with, because one of the challenges I recognize very quickly working with them is they realize agile or lean. They they realize these concepts and the potential benefit of these concepts. But there was almost this kind of hesitance that how do we practically apply this? Right. Mm -hmm. How how do we actually I get your saying outcome versus output as a mindset shift. But what does that look like when I'm building a, a Strategy. What does it look like when I'm uh, you know, testing out a learning experience? And there, there was almost this practical application challenge that was holding people back. Um, and there's a, there a lot of kind of conceptual, theoretical and academic reading and understanding. But there's the, the practical um, in, implementation of it. So over time, you know, how now working with our customers, we would test out things. You know, so I would borrow from my learnings from uh, building tech companies and your know, mental models and frameworks that I had used whilst building businesses that really helped me to navigate the unknown. And, and I think it really made sense. And I talk about this in the book because essentially startups inherently are fast learning 
um, organizations. You have to be because all of the constraints and odds uh, against you. So the whole idea with a startup is before your runway runs out, you need to figure out uh, by runway, I mean your capital or money before that runs out. You got to figure out what's your product, who's your customer, how you're going to get it to them, how much you're going to charge, right? And you're trying to disrupt a, a market that has so many incumbents with more resources, people, and money than you. And so startups have over time developed so many mental models and frameworks to help them accelerate their learning without wasting resources. Which is exactly what every organization is trying to do today, right? Is you want to learn as fast as possible, possibly learn as at the rate. The world is changing without wasting too many resources, time, etc. And um, and so you know, I would adapt some of those mental models and frameworks to suit internal L and D for for the L and D professionals, and it got great feedback. Right, uh, people were really able to um, use those tools, apply it, and then they would give feedback going. But what about this scenario? Then I would kind of iterate on it, going, "Oh, that's right. I didn't really think about that." And so iterated on that. And so over time, what I ended up with these kind of toolkits and frameworks that they could use, which had been refined from the feedback that I'd got from uh, the customers we were working with. Um, and that's really what informed the book. Uh, that's when I thought, actually, why don't we just put this in a book so it's easier, not just for our customers that we work directly with, but, you know, I'm not too precious about this. If it's useful, I'd much rather it gets out there to, to kind of more people. Um, and gather more feedback and uh, more kind of success stories of how people are applying and, and these frameworks. And I think that's probably been the most exciting thing about getting the book out there. Mm, mm. And, and that's what I love about how now and you as a CEO or founder and CEO is that you have actually co-created with your clients and, and with your customers. I think that's brilliant. Um, when we first met at that and you your team had those crazy cow suits on holding yeah. like, you know, Gravestone heads going. The Alamis is dead. <laughs> how, how old was your business then? It must have only been a couple of years old. Uh, yeah, we were just kicking off. I think that was literally just over the the kind of first year mark. If, if that. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. That's very cool. Um, and the products come along so well. It's a, yeah, it's, a, it's a awesome LXP. So very nice. Um, so to tell a bit, can you tell us a bit more specifically about what is the framework? Like, what are you proposing? Yeah, sure. So multiple. Yeah, there are multiple ones, but it basically takes you through a process of going, um, I believe the fastest learner wins, right? In a world where everything is exponential change, exponential change throws a ton of new opportunities and a ton of new risks, right? And, And the fastest learners will essentially be able to seize those opportunities and win. And those who can't learn fast enough will eventually fall behind. And, and they'll lose. And what losing looks like is, you know, losing market share, uh, not being able to win customers. As an individual, what losing looks like is you become socially and economically irrelevant, right? You struggle to find a job. Um, you know, it's not competitive in the job market. And it's a big problem, right? It, it's it's um, if you're not learning at speed and you're not one of those fastest learners who are winning, it's a big problem for society. It's a big problem for governments. That's why governments are subsidizing and put money in in, in different countries. Um, and so it's the question is really, OK, we understand we need to learn at speed. Right. Uh, and we need to. And this kind of linear improvement on how we're currently learning is, is not going to be enough because things are changing exponentially. So what can we do? How do we change the playbook here? 
Um, and so the, the book is basically structured to go, OK, what what are the steps there? So everything from, you know, often a mistake we make. Um, and, and I talk about this in the book around how much money was spent in, in kind of 2020 alone um, just on kind of global L&D and training. It's like over 360 billion, more than the GDP of 160 different countries. Uh, yet, you know, in the same year, only 12 percent uh, of employees reported using the skills they got from their internal L&D. And I think it's something like almost 70% wouldn't recommend their organization's L&D function. So there's a huge disconnect between how much is being spent and the impact of, of that. And, and the mistake we're seeing year after year is we just see L&D professionals investing more money in content, trying to make it quote unquote fun and interactive um, but not thinking about the wider context. And this is what I call the kind of fish out of water problem, which is we're thinking about the fish, which is the content, but are not thinking about water, which is the context in which this content will have to exist. And that's things like, you know, what's the culture of your organization? How do you do promotions? You know, what do you do? You have a uh, psychological safety for testing and iterating. And so when to take into account the context, the problem starts much before designing content. It starts at a strategic level where if you're developing an L&D strategy that's designed to solve the wrong problem for the wrong people, uh, using the wrong stakeholders, measuring the wrong metrics, you are set up to do the wrong things from the get go. So the question is, how mm. do we write those wrongs and how you write those wrongs is by a finding the right problem. Right. It's spending time up front to do a discovery process uh, like you would in, in sales or in product development where you ask questions to understand, um, not, you know, just a surface level question where they tell you the solution they want, but to really dig deep and understand what's the actual problem. I know you're telling me you need this, but what's the actual problem? So you identify the problem and then you build your strategy based on first principle thinking. So first principle thinking is when you break down a problem into its absolute fundamental truths. So what are the actual known entities where you're stripping away assumptions and uh, known constraints? And, you know, that's first principle thinking, right? Because if you had gone with it, it would have been the opposite, which is reasoning by analogy, because everyone else has said it. So you're going to do it. But you're looking mm. to break down that problem. And that's exactly the, the mindset we need to apply to. Um, L&D strategy. So um, I've got the learning canvas in the book that I talk about, which helps you break it down to what I believe are the nine fundamental principles of an L&D strategy and bring it into a single page. Um, and so those nine building blocks give you the the why, how and what of your L&D strategy. And mm. so, you know, I'll quickly run over. So you've got the problem, customer and value proposition. Those three building blocks give you the why. And they're really mm -hmm. critical because the why is what motivates the business to give you budget. And the why is also why the employee invests their time and energy in engaging with your L&D strategy. So it's important to nail those three building blocks. The next three building blocks is your how. So it's your solution, which isn't your courses, your training programs. The solution is what skills, knowledge or mindset do you does that person need or these people need? To you be able to say solve that business problem and then who are the partners and stakeholders who can help you deliver that solution that they can help with you uh, or you need them to champion and then the, the third one is what are the key resources and the key resources here are um 
things like you know your courses your learning resources your mentors your coaches your your learning platform these are your key resources and that's how you're gonna deliver the strategy and the last one is what 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 do i measure to know whether this is working or not and that's made up of key metrics and key metrics are your views your enrollments your completion rates now these are not indications of impact these are leading indicators that people are engaging with your content. It doesn't stop there. Mm. It's just a it's a signal to say, okay, we're going in the right track. But, you know, people heard about it, right? They're, they're using it. They felt like it was relevant when they engaged with it, right? But then you've got to go further to the next block, which is outcome. An outcome has to be uh, measurable and aligned to your value proposition. So if your value proposition is improve sales efficiency, then your outcome could be, uh, increased sales conversion rate from 20% to 30%, right? And then the last block is cost. How much is it going to cost you to deliver this learning um, strategy? And quite simply, your ROI is the outcome box minus the cost box. And if you get a positive, then you're driving ROI, right? And so the whole idea is to simplify in a way where it's not just for L&D people, right? Now, I think it's important to understand that L&D is no longer just a function. It's an organizational capability. And so it involves everyone. It involves your people managers. So you need to be able to talk in a language that connects everyone together. So that's where I go into kind of building the strategy. And then we talk about how do you now convert this strategy into learning experiences um, that are tangible, that people can engage with, they can hold, they can, you know, respond to it and learn and apply it. And so this is where we break it down into kind of four different areas, which is, you know, how do you bring together your learning ecosystem? Um, before, how you do you, be oh. before you, because yeah. that is gold right there. Like, honestly, if I was getting into L&D or sort of I'm, I'm in, still in L&D, I would go get your book. I would go to that page and then I would rewind right up to that point where you said and the learning canvas framework and I'd be taking notes. That is just gold right there. So that's how you do a strategy. We, we did an event a couple of years ago and we had about 70 plus people in the room. How, and like big organisations, government departments, who's got a learning strategy? I think three people out of 70 put their hand up. Like, really? Like, right. That is crazy. And I don't know if it's like that in the rest of the world, but that was New Zealand anyway. Um, so, yeah. So if anyone wants to know how to do a learning strategy, that's a brilliant, brilliant piece of advice. So, got your strategy. Please carry on. <laughs> yeah, so, so once you've got the strategy, it's now, you know, converting it into into actually how are you going to implement and, and deliver this? And that's where kind of preparing yourself for how do you deliver learning experiences? And, and I break that down into four parts. The first one being the, you're, you're kind of bringing together your learning ecosystem. And this is an important one because I ask this question pretty much every time I do a talk in a room full of L&D professionals. I always ask them, um, I want you to think about the last time you learned something that had a big impact on your performance or career. I give them a moment and then I tell them, all right, put your hand up if that took place in an LMS and no one puts their hand up. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it's incredibly ironic because all of them are probably spending a large part of their L&D budget on an LMS, yet none of them go to an LMS to actually learn things that they think are meaningful to themselves. So my question is, then why do you think anyone else in the organization, I mean, you're vested in making the LMS work. None of the other employees are. Why do you think they're going to use it? But then I list out other things like blogs, podcasts, webinars, books, um, you know, coaching, mentoring, learning from colleagues, all of these different things 
and you start to see hands being put up. And that's when I tell them, look, there's two things we learn from that. The first thing is all of your learning content doesn't live inside your learning management system and it never will. Right. Learning is diverse and, and scattered across multiple different content sources um, inside and outside of the organization. That's the first thing to acknowledge. The second thing to acknowledge is learning will happen with and without L&D. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean there is no role for L&D. Actually, the opposite is true. L&D are more important than ever before because there's so much out there. You need L&D to almost be the, the conductor of this learning orchestra and make sure everything is playing in sync, in harmony, aligned and aligned to skills gaps, business goals. And you're helping reduce the friction um, for the learners to find or what they need, the, for the employees to find what they need. So that's the learning ecosystem part. And I list all the different types of things I've seen uh, across companies we've worked with, companies I've, I've you know, great L&D teams that I've uh, had the privilege of kind of speaking to and learning from, you know, what are the different things they have in their ecosystem and how to bring it together. And then the second one is now you've got your ecosystem. How can you use data that already exists within your company to connect people with relevant learning? Right. So how can, for example, if you're trying to tackle burnout, you know, why don't you use data around who are the people who are sending a message on Slack or email out of hours? Right. You can get that data from within your company. Use that data to segment your target audience and send them out something relevant. The moment they see something that comes through going, are you sending something out of hours? They're like, oh, my God, you're talking to me. Right. Maybe I do need to engage in this rather than pushing it out to everyone. And so what kind of data you can use within the organization? And then I talk about kind of uh, the moments that matter. So moments that matter for me, are if you connect relevant learning with someone in a moment that matters, you have the ability to shape their performance. Right. So you have micro moments that matter where if I'm on a call with a customer and they ask me a question, if you could give me the relevant knowledge nugget while I'm on that call, to apply it in that call, that's a micro moment that matters where you could potentially shape my performance. And then you have macro moments where if I've just been promoted as a first time manager, right, there are things that I need help with, how to have a good career conversation or one to one. And in those moments that matter, if you connect me with relevant learning, you can shape um, my performance. And so I talk about the influences of, of those moments that matter. And the final fourth piece of creating a learning experience is, is measuring impact, right? And this is a part of designing your learning experience. It's not an afterthought. Um, and that's where I talk about three different types of um, proofs, which is the proof of knowledge, proof of skill and proof of performance. And, and what are the different things you can measure to build an impact narrative um, and, and really kind of use quantitative and qualitative data to triangulate, to build that narrative. And that's what it is. I think for L&D to recognize you're just building a narrative. It doesn't have to be binary. It doesn't have to be black and white, right? You don't have to prove that L&D were the only people who contributed to helping this person improve their performance. The business doesn't care about whether you're the only person who helped or not. What the business cares is the performance improved and you contributed somehow. So long as you can build a narrative to show that you've influenced that performance and that could come from an interview, you know, with, with the beneficiaries to speak to them and go, do you feel like your performance improved because of this you know, coaching session you did or because of this learning resource you had access to or these product FAQs that you had, did that help? Um, combine that with quantitative data to see that actually the sales conversion rate did improve from 20% to 
the combination of those two things is enough for me to build a narrative to show what we're doing is working. So that, that's what the second part is about. Mm, mm. And I, I mean, that's just a darn fire hose right there. Okay. So it's just, just, just saying there's so much gold in that. Um, and it's interesting you talk about, you know, the, 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 the moment that matters, you know, I'm doing something and then I need some information and then I get it. And then it's, I apply it immediately and I've always said that about how now is that the fact that you have got this super duper f- like search functionality. If someone's in Google going, how do I do that? It's actually popping up and saying, hey, back over here, here's our stuff, not the World Wide Web stuff um, that you've actually always you know, driving them back to what's pertinent right now. And it's available as they're doing their work. I think that's brilliant because there's I don't know any other LMS that does that. Um, actually, and I was talking to. A, yeah, I was talking no, to today that. Oh, I was going to say, has shortlisted how now? And I said, that's their number one thing. Like, you need, you need that, right? <laughs> so um, it's really interesting. And it was the one thing that made me say, I'm going to take this back to New Zealand because I'd never seen it before, that uh, the, your Chrome plugin that you that you have. So awesome. Sorry, carry on. No, I was just going to add to that, Oscar. And I think it goes back to really your philosophy of we often in, in L&D try to drag the employee to where we want them to go. Uh, which is often mm-hmm. a, an LMS system, and we're constantly trying to drag them there rather than sending the learning where they are. Right? And if they spend 80% of their time in a CRM or, or Google is their default search place, why are we not sending it there? Why are we trying to introduce a new search behavior? And I think when you embed learning within existing habits, you reduce the friction for someone to be able to access the learning they need. And I think this is even more important now. I mean, we're going in an economic downturn where I'm sure uh, budgets are being scrutinized even more uh, than before. I think something like what you said we do with the Google search, um, what that does is it drives more engagement and ROI to the learning resources you've already spent time and money on, right? Because you've probably built stuff, bought stuff that right now could be useful and relevant, um, but it's not being discovered. And that isn't a learning problem. That's a marketing problem or discoverability problem. Right. And mm. so by by having it show up on Google search, because that's where I'm going to search, you're now, you know, it's this money that you've already sunk. You're able to drive more returns with it. And, and I think that becomes important now moving forward, because it's about making sure you're driving that engagement to, to the learning resources that you're buying or curating or, or spending time creating. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's so true. Um and just listening to the last, you know, you talk, you talked about mindset quite a bit. Do you think it's if if L and D could sort of get more of an entrepreneurial mindset, that might help in their whole the whole, you know, the trusted advisor scenario, the being being actual problem solving focused rather than solution focused. Do you think it's it's an entrepreneurial mindset would actually help that? Absolutely, them? absolutely, I I I think this is why I've, I've really enjoyed working and working in the LND space and, and I'm really glad we, we started how now and we're doing what we're doing because I almost see um LND teams and functions like a startup and, and you know LND professionals as the kind of founder of of that startup because essentially you've got um you're trying to learn about learning what works and what doesn't work and essentially your product is is that um you know, the job to be done is, it's say, improving sales or reducing errors, and you're essentially hiring learning as your product to help you get that job done, right? And, and so 
when you look at it in that way, okay, so this is my product driving this change uh, or enabling this change is, is my product as an L&D team. So I now need to think about um, not just the learning design or instructional design or that part of it. There's other things just like an entrepreneur. You need to think about how you're going to market this, right? How are you going to make people aware of this? How are you going to drive that engagement? Um, you know, you need to think about working with uh, cross-functional stakeholders, right? Because it's not an L&D problem. It's a business challenge. So you need to work with the business, the business stakeholders, understand, um, you know, what's in it for each of those different people. Um, you need to be a technologist, right? Because I'm not saying te technology isn't the, the be all and end all here, but technology is the fundamental enabler that will help you scale your impact. It is not possible for a small team of L&D people, of a few people in small organizations to be able to deliver um, personalized, meaningful learning to every single employee in a, in a thousand plus person organization without tech. It's impossible, right? It, it's, yeah. And so tech is the enabler for you to have that impact at scale. Right. And so you need to be a technologist. And the fact that you have so many cross disciplinary skills um, and, and that's a true, you know, uh, that's entrepreneurial. Right? It, it is. There's not one particular domain or, or department. It's it's knowing all of these different things to some level to, to get your product out there to your internal uh, customer. And I think almost L&D thinking about themselves as that internal entrepreneur um, is, is a great thing for them to do is to, to look at what they're doing as as that kind of internal startup. This is the product we're putting out there. You know, we need to have those cross disciplinary skills in our team. And I think we're starting to see that in, in the makeup of L&D teams where it's no longer just people with L&D backgrounds. You know, I've seen people who've come from um, sales and customer success and move into L&D who come with a completely different perspective because they've been in different parts of the business and they're able to empathize with what maybe the business or that employee wants and they come with different skill sets around managing the internal customer. And so I definitely believe, um, you know, L&D professionals are entrepreneurs. Well, should be. <laughs> should be. That's right. <laughs> should be. I, I, I had an idea. Oh, this is ages ago. I thought, you know, it'd be amazing if you could get a group of organizations to release the L&D people or person, maybe one person a team, one day a week. So for, I don't know, six months, they actually build a not-for-profit and go and solve a problem for, you know, a, a humanity problem. So then they would, lose, they would very quickly learn entrepreneurial skills, right? Because you, yeah, yeah, for you sure. just go solve a problem what problem you're selling will people buy it you know how yeah. are we going to market it yeah. how are we going to get it out there all of that i think real life where you know they've still got the comfort of their salary which is you know what you know most entrepreneurs yeah. don't have um would actually really teach that i think that's a it's a it's a critical base skill which i i just i don't think a lot of people have, have got um but then at the same time it's good to hear that you've got Across you know, people coming into L and D teams where you are in the world, I haven't necessarily seen that so much in New Zealand, like right. or, or heard that. So that is an interesting way to actually bring those different views in. So yeah, that's good to hear. Also, just want to touch on too, just going back to your lean canvas, your last box that was about your ROI, right? Which is your what did it cost? What did you get back out of it? Um, I think, and I'd be interested in your view on this, is you know, using tools like Power BI to bring in, say, the sales data next to the to the learning data and actually looking at that side by side. Um, is that happening much in your part of the world? Like, tell us what's happening you know, in terms of being able to bring 
business data because often you can't bring business data into an LMS. How yeah. are people doing it? Yeah, what's your, your, your customers? Yeah, for sure. I, we're definitely seeing it with some of our larger customers where they're taking the data out of HowNow and they're putting it into tools like Power BI um, and, and looking at it in the context of, of kind of business performance data. But I still think it's in its infancy because the business performance data they're looking at is it's still very top level. Right? I, I mean, it's not about it, we're not measuring directly impacts on kind of revenue, profit, right, as, as much as that's what the biggest story might be. But I think what we need to start kind of expand on is L&D to work with the different stakeholders to understand what are the metrics that the, the performance metrics that matter for that part of the business. So for, for sales, what matters for customer service, what matters, you know, for, for product and engineering teams, what, what matters, what are those metrics? Um, and so we can really drill down into it. One of the things I'm really excited about what we're working on is we want people to, so right now people can use how now to, to segment their target audience based on uh, skills proficiency level and, and kind of essentially create, create audience groups based on their skills metrics and that way assign content to someone with, you know, less than a level three in leadership, right? So it, it makes you, it reduces the gap between aligning learning to skills gaps because you're directly doing it by using skills data to segment your target audience. Now, the vision's always been to be able to do that with performance data. Um, and so, you know, one of the things we're really proud of is we, I think we have one of the largest ecosystem of integrations for any learning platform. Being an LXP, it's a big part of what we kind of put forward. Um, I agree with it. I 100% agree. I've seen your integrations and there's a massive list like a comparison to others. So, yeah. And, and we're constantly kind of expanding on that. And where we're moving to now is is a self-service integrations marketplace, which, again, reduces the friction, speeds it up. But what I'm really excited about in that marketplace, we've included um, performance systems like uh, performance tools like um, CRMs, help desks. So to put that into context, what you would essentially be able to do is go, if your benchmark sales conversion rate is 20%, you could segment your target audience saying who's not hitting the 20% conversion rate, right? And so you would be able to segment the employees who are underperforming and then be able to recommend and assign relevant learning for them. So you can start using performance data from across the business to segment your target audience and, and push out relevant learning directly within the HANA platform. So trying to bring that performance piece closer um, and because – you know, that is what our belief is in terms of that's the impact that you're trying to drive in the business. And I think right now it's still it's possible, but there's a lot of friction for L&D to be able to gather the data, build the case and show it. And so yeah. what we've spent the last kind of year or so doing is really working with L&D to understand, OK, what do you do once you take the data out of how now? I know yeah. it, has nothing to, it has nothing to do with us because you're not in the platform, but we're really curious who do you send it to? Why do you send it to them? What do you do with it? How do you analyze it? What are you trying to understand? And trying to understand the rest of the journey that they're going on that's not taking place in how now. And now having spent time understanding that across different sectors, different countries, different sizes of organizations, now we have an idea of, okay, how can we now solve this within our product, right? And, and reduce the friction uh, to do that. Mm. So yeah, that's one of the areas I'm quite excited around bringing that performance data into how now. Yeah, that's really good. 
Um, that's much needed. Um, are you seeing a trend around um, performance development? Because we're getting a lot of requests. What LMSs have performance development in it? Uh, so, so now it's like a, a it's a combination, right? It's usually best of breed, which is what we always recommend. But there does seem to be a bit of a trend around that. Um, don't know. Have you been hearing that? Not as much. I, I mean, I, we've definitely not heard that. And but I think we've constantly gone through a bundling and unbundling of of <laughs> software tools across every software category, right? I think it goes. Um, back and forth, consolidation, non-consolidation, like it, it constantly happens. Um, but yeah, I'd be interested to see where this where this goes because I think what you tend to get, and we see this across the market, is once you start getting someone who's doing the horizontal bundling, they don't go deep enough, right? They, they don't go deep enough. They end up giving you a surface level solution that doesn't solve the whole problem, right? Where 100%, whereas yeah, 100%. For, for us, the interest is we still think there's so much more to do in in the learning part, right? There, there's yes, but yes. we just spoke about performance data. We just spoke about um, you know segmenting based on that. We did learning experiences. There's so many different types. Of, there's so much more. We believe that needs to happen vertically. That I think if you're moving away from kind of best of breed, I'd ask yourself why. I mean today with APIs and integrations that you, you get as an end user, it's seamless for you, right? It, it's, and it's not even difficult to set up. Um, and so I think you really need to be asking yourself, why, why does that matter, right? Why, why does it matter that it's inside the same tool? And why don't you get two different experts, right? For, for if it commercially makes sense and you're able to make it work within your budget, why not get two different experts, someone who's vertically focused on learning and someone who's vertically focused on and performance management and performance development? Um, so, yeah, we've not seen it as much um, so far. Mm. And I think that you're right. It's that do you want a specialist platform or do you want specialist platforms which can seamlessly integrate, which is we're on the same page with that, or do you want a generalist that can do end-to-end -end and do everything? That's like, it's interesting but some organisations want that so very, as you say, very generalist look at every single part of their employee journey versus best of breed. So, yes, very interesting. So going back to your book, so we've done the strategy, we've done the creating experiences. Was What else was sort of your, your thoughts and insights when you were writing the book? I guess the thoughts and insights was I was very clear writing it that I wanted it to be actionable, right? It, it needed to be almost like a step by step. You're following a recipe and uh, to, to make a meal, right? I, and when I follow um, books that I read, like instructional books or how to books, that's the way I like it. You know, I, I like to be clear in what you're asking me to do and how how I can apply that within my own context. So I was very certain that's the kind of book that I wanted to put out there. So the, the kind of last third part of the book is really focused around, um, you know, sprints, for example. You know, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about agile sprints and they want to go down that route, but they don't know how to apply that. Um, so I talk about how you can adapt sprints to, to work within an uh, L&D environment. Um, and I talk about a, a concept that um, in the startup world, we call it product market fit. And essentially what product market fit is when you build a product that the market 
wants. You find a customer in your market who really wants this and you feel it because they're buying your product as fast as you can make it. And so the, the kind of recommendation or best practices, you don't scale until you've experienced product market fit. You keep testing your product or keep changing your market until you find that fit. And when you find that fit, you, you feel it because people are now, they want exactly what you're selling. Um, and that's the time to scale. And what I recognized w- was happening with L&D teams was often they were scaling even before they experienced a fit, and which in the book I call learning challenge fit. And, and what learning challenge fit is, have you developed a strategy or learning experience that's showing you early signs that the outcome metric is moving in the direction that, sh- that suggests that the business challenge is being solved, Right. Until you get that early data to suggest learning challenge fit, you shouldn't scale because essentially you're scaling something that hasn't proven that it's having any impact. So if you scale it and it's still not having an impact, you're just scaling the amount of waste, right? So to take a lean approach to it, lean approach is all about minimizing waste and maximizing value. Um, and, And so one of the things I talk about there is how you can test and iterate until you find learning challenge fit. Um, And again, using the startup parallel, it's in the same way how a startup should only be scaling once they experience product market fit. I think L&D teams should only be scaling what their strategy or experience is once they experience learning challenge fit. Mm. You make me want to go back and be a learning designer there, Nelson, but (laughs) get a job being a learning designer. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, probably not. But um, sounds sounds a whole lot more exciting than the way in the you know, used to do it in the old days. So um, yeah, that's that's really awesome. Fantastic. Well, anything else you want to add? I feel like I've spoken too much already, yesterday. <laughs> no, this is the whole point, right? We want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear what you know. Um, brilliant. Um, in terms of the book, where would we get it? It's on Amazon. Yeah, it's on Amazon. I think it's on pretty much most bookshops you might go to to, to buy. But uh, yeah, Amazon, you can buy it. You can buy it directly from the publishers, Kogan Page as well. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, I think you're in um, you're in um, good company. I think you know, a lot of um, the thought leaders around the world have used Kogan Page for their um, their books as well. So, yeah, so you're in great company. Well, I don't think there's anything. I think that there's been just honestly such a fire hose. And um, I really hope that it, it sounds like it's going to be the handbook that that people need to sort of be modern in their learning and, and, and taking their their organisations forward. Um, so that honestly, the last book I can think of that I read that came out like that was probably the Leaving Addy for Sam. And that was like 20 years ago, right? This seems to be right. the first handbook that's come out. It's like, yeah, we can actually do something with this. And as I said, like really seminal in, it, in its thinking and, and, and the fresh thinking that you bring through the eyes of an entrepreneur and a, and a tech developer, really. I think those fresh eyes, you can really tell that that's um, going to make a huge difference to L&D people. So well done, you. And I'm so pleased we met at that conference in year, your year one all those years ago. Um, and and thank you. Uh, thank you, Ross, again. Thanks for to kind of always supporting the cause and, and obviously for, for kind of uh, supporting the book. Um, I mean, it's been great to see people who um reaching out who've read the book around the world who I've never met sharing how they're using it, how they've used the canvas, 
what they've enjoyed and feedback around how they found it accessible and um you know and also there's a lot of startup stories in the book as well and and so there are probably startups you've heard of which makes it interesting and and you know brands that you're probably familiar with but hearing the behind the scenes stories of those um and so i'd love to you know anyone listening here who does decide to buy the book or is already reading the book and do reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn, um, Nelson Sidlingham on Twitter, that Nelson dude. Always love to hear your stories, questions and feedback. You know, even if you didn't enjoy it, I'm also learning. Um, and so, you know, I'm more than happy to hear your feedback and, and see why it worked or why it didn't work for you. That is awesome. And we look forward to your second book. I know you said there's not a second book in there, but I reckon there is. <laughs> I'm still suffering from PTSD of writing this book. So, yeah, not anytime soon. <laughs> Good one. Thank you so much. It was great connecting again. Thank you, Rusty. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you very much. If you'd like to get in touch with me to suggest topics or speakers, you can contact me on LinkedIn or Facebook or find the links in the show notes below. Keep on smiling.